Chapter One of Giants on the Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This story was first published in Astounding Stories, 1931 and 32. Giants on the Earth by Captain S. P. Meek Chapter One The Jovian Tyrant Glavor, Jovian Viceroy of the Earth, looked arrogantly about as he lay at ease on the cushions of the ornate chariot which bore him through the streets of his capital city. Like all the Jovians, he was cast in a heroic mold compared to his earth-born subjects. Even for a Jovian, Glavor was large. He measured a good eight feet from the soles of his huge splayed feet to the crown of his enormous head, crested with stiff black hair, which even the best efforts of Tonsome, the court barber, failed to make lie in order. His keen black eyes glittered as they swept over the scene before him. Where only a few years before had been only tangled tropical jungle on the narrow neck of land separating the two great oceans, now rose row after row of stately buildings. Suddenly Glavor's attention was attracted by a girlish form in a passing chariot. "'Stop!' he cried. Obedient to the driver's touch on a lever, the tiny radium motor of the chariot ceased to revolve, and the equipage stopped its forward motion. Glavor turned to an equerry at his side. Habener, he exclaimed, did you note that maiden who passed us? I did, Your Excellency. Bring her before me. The equerry sprang lightly to the ground and called out in a stentorian voice. At the sound every vehicle on the street ceased its movement until the will of the Viceroy, the ruler of the sons of God, should be made known. In a few steps his powerful Jovian muscles, carrying his huge body forward at a rate impossible to persons born of earthly parentage who had not inherited the power needed to overcome the enormous gravity of Jupiter, Havener reached the equipage containing the girl. He gave a curt order, and the girl's driver turned his vehicle and brought it alongside the viceroy's. Glavor's eyes rested on the slim, lissome figure of the earth girl. She was just emerging from the grace of girlhood into the full dignity of young womanhood, and the soft clinging garb she wore accentuated rather than concealed the curves of her body. As Glavor's gaze fell on her, she cast down her eyes, and a flush crept slowly over her pretty face to the mass of coppery gold hair which crowned her head. An expression of brutal lust came into the Viceroy's eyes. "'Daughter of man,' he said slowly, "'how are you named, and what is your family?' "'My name is Laura.' Your Excellency, she faltered, and I am the daughter of Turgan, the Kildare of this province. You please me, girl, said the Viceroy. Dismiss your chariot and join me in mine. There is room in my seraglio for you. 
Laura stared with horror at the huge Jovian and sank back from his sensual gaze. Glavor gazed at her in astonishment, and a deep scowl spread over his face. "'The prospect does not seem to please you, daughter of man,' he said slowly. "'Perhaps the company of the Viceroy of Tubane, ruler of the universe, is too lowly to please you, and you desire more exalted company. <laughs> Be careful that I do not have you stripped and given to the palace guards for their sport. Join me in my chariot.' He half rose and leaned forward to clasp her. Laura gave a cry of horror and sprang from her chariot to the ground on the side farthest from the vehicle of the viceroy. Glavor leaped to his feet with a roar of rage and lunged after her. Before he had left his chariot the hand of his equerry fell restrainingly on his shoulder. The viceroy turned a rage-maddened face toward his minion. "'Seize that maiden, Havener!' he cried. "'As I live she shall be sacrificed at the next games.' The equerry made no move to obey his superior's orders, and Glavor's face grew purple with rage. "'Obey my orders, or you shall join her as a sacrifice,' he roared. The equerry's face paled slightly and grew grim at the viceroy's words, but no trace of fear appeared on his heavy countenance. "'Save your breath, Glavor,' he said shortly but in so quiet a voice that no one but the viceroy heard him. "'You may be head of the sons of God on this planet, but your power does not extend to life and death over me, who am of the same blood that you are. I have the right to appeal to Turbane from such a sentence. Before you strive to haul that girl away to your already crowded seraglio against her will, listen to me. Do you realize who she is?' The Viceroy's face was a study. For a moment rage predominated, and he raised a mighty fist to strike Havener down. But the equerry looked him fearlessly in the eye. Slowly the hot rage faded, and a deathly ferocity took its place. "'You try me for, Havener,' he said in a quiet voice, yet with a hint of steel in his tones. Yet. Your loyalty is above suspicion. Heard you not the girl say she is the daughter of the Kildare of this province?" "'I heard, Your Excellency,' replied the equerry, but beyond that she is someone else. She is the affianced bride of Damis, the son of Hortan, who was viceroy before you." "'A Nephilim!' exclaimed the viceroy scornfully. "'What matters that?' Are the desires of a half-breed bastard to stand above the wishes of the ruler of the planet? It is true that the mother of Damis was a daughter of man, said the equerry quietly. Yet Hartan married her in honor. Damis is a man of great influence, and it would be well to reflect before you rob him of his chosen bride. There is a wide discontent with our rule which needs only a leader to flare up. Remember that we are few and Jupiter is far away." "'Havener, you talk like a frightened woman,' sneered the Viceroy. "'Let him join the ranks of the malcontents. 
For my part, I hope they revolt. They need to be taught a lesson. Stand aside while I seize the maiden." The equerry stood aside with a shrug of his shoulders, and the viceroy sprang to the ground. The girl had run as rapidly as her clinging robes would allow toward one of the beautiful buildings which lined the thoroughfare. She had almost reached the doorway when Glavor reached the ground and raced after her. His Jovian muscles carried his body forward at a pace which no terrestrial could equal. It was evident to the watchers that he would seize Laura before she could reach the sanctuary she sought. A mingled chorus of cries of rage and hisses came from the earthmen who witnessed the scene. The Jovian guards strove to suppress the outcries until a word from Havener made them cease their efforts and close in around the viceregal chariot. The cries rose to a tumult, but as yet none of the earthmen dared to raise a hand against the person of the representative of Tubane, the far-off Jovian whom they had been forced to acknowledge as God, and whom many of the ignorant believed was God. The viceroy rapidly overtook his victim, and his hand was outstretched to grasp her when there came an interruption. From the doorway which the girl had been striving to reach, a man burst forth and leaped between her and her pursuer. Glavor stopped and glowered at the new obstacle in the path of his sensuality. The newcomer stood five inches over six feet in his flat sandals but it was only in his unusual height and his enormous strength that he showed the blood of his Jovian father. His feet were small and shapely, with a high-arched instep, and his whole form was graceful and symmetrical. Crisply curling yellow hair surmounted a head which Praxiteles would have reveled in as a model for his youthful Hermes. As he faced the viceroy, his usual pleasant smile was gone and his face was set in grim lines, his clear blue eyes as cold as the ice brought from the polar regions to cool the viceroy's drink. The two stood and stared at one another, the black eyes of the Jovian burning like fire in strange contrast to the cold glare of the blue ones. Then tension in the street grew taut. The earthmen gradually closed in about them. At a word from Havener, the Jovian guards closed up and drew from their garments long black tubes. Presently Glavor broke the silence. "'Make way, son of Hortan, for the Viceroy of God,' he rumbled in his deep-toned voice. Damis made no reply, nor did he move a muscle. The rage deepened on the viceroy's face, and he strode forward, his hand raised to strike down this puny assailant who had interposed his slight form between the mass of limbs of the Jovian and the object of his desires. With a cry of rage he brought down his huge hand, and then Damis moved. So swiftly that the eye could hardly follow his movements, he leaped to one side, and his own hand shot up. Fingers of steel circled the hairy wrist of the viceroy and stopped his hand in mid-air. For a moment Glavor was too astonished at the idea of physical resistance to move. Damis, with an almost contemptuous air, tossed aside the hand he held 
and made as if to turn his back. With an inarticulate roar of rage the Jovian charged. Again Damis sprang to one side, and his hand moved. In a long arc his clenched fist shot up and caught Glavor on the chin and rocked the four hundred pounds of bone and muscle that made up the viceroy. For a moment Glavor staggered, and then his hand fell on Damis's shoulder. Exerting all his huge strength, he pulled his opponent toward him and threw his massive arms about him. Damis made no attempt to wriggle out of the bone-crushing grip, but instead threw his arms about the Jovian and matched muscle against muscle. The Jovian guards, who had witnessed the feats of strength which were the Viceroy's boast, expected only one outcome. But to Havener, who recalled that Hortan, the father of Damis, had been one of the mightiest men of Jupiter, the issue was not a foregone conclusion. Stealthily as a cat he crept forward, a long black tube clenched in his hand. Mightily the two strove. The face of the Jovian grew dark red and then almost purple as he put forth his last ounce of strength to crush the opponent whom he topped a good eighteen inches. For all of his effort not an inch did Damis yield. His face grew as pale as the Jovian's grew red, and his breath came whistling through his lips. But the strength he had inherited from his mighty sire stood him in good stead. Inch by inch he bent the huge form of his opponent backward. With a sudden effort the Jovian raised one of his huge misshapen feet and strove to bring his mighty thighs to aid him in thrusting away his enemy. Damis's knee came up, and the Jovian dropped his foot with a howl of pain. His breath came in gasps, and he stared into the implacable blue eyes before him with a sudden spasm of fear. At last Glavor had met his match. He opened his lips to call to his guards for help, but shame held back the cry. Once he admitted defeat, the fear in which the earthman held him would be shaken. With an effort he bent forward his head and buried his huge fangs in Damis's shoulder. There was a cry from the watching earthmen as they surged forward. The Jovian guards ran to their ruler's assistance, but they were too far away. Haverner was close, and he sprang forward, thrusting the black tube which he carried toward Damis. A cry advised Damis of his danger. With a Herculean effort he lifted the huge Jovian from his feet and swung him around until the massive body was between him and the threatening weapon of the equerry. As swiftly as striking snakes his arms uncoiled from around Glavor's body and grasped him by the shoulders. With one mighty heave he tore the Jovian's mouth from his shoulder, although the flesh had been torn and lacerated by the action. One arm went under Glavor's arm and back around until the head rested on the back of his neck. The other arm caught the Viceroy's arm and twisted it behind his back. Glavor gave a cry of pain as the punishing hold was applied. Holding his captive before him, Damis turned to the equerry. "'Put up your tube,' he said. 
one hostile move and your ruler dies. Disintegrate him, Havener, gasped the viceroy. The equerry hesitated a moment, but aid was at hand. The Jovian guards had come up to the scene of the struggle and surrounded the pair, black tubes in their hands. The sight of reinforcements roused the viceroy's lagging courage. Capture him alive, he gasped. He will be sacrificed at the next games. With a roar the guards closed in on the struggling pair. As hairy arms grasped his shoulders, Damis lunged back with all his strength. There was the crack of a breaking bone, and the viceroy's arm hung dangling and useless. Damis whirled on the guards, shaking himself loose for a moment from their grasp, and his fists flew out. Two of the giants went down before well-aimed blows, but no one man, no matter what his might, could fight against a score of the huge Jovians, and Damis was borne to the ground. Even as he fell, a roar went up from the watching terrestrials, and with one accord they closed in to attack. The Jovian guards who were nearest whirled about and raised the black tubes threateningly. For a moment the earthmen hesitated, and then came on with a rush. From the tubes came rays of intensely violet light. As they fell on the front ranks of the charging terrestrials, the form on which the rays impinged grew suddenly tenuous. The sunlight penetrated through the bodies for a moment, and then there was nothing but a group of dancing motes of light to mark where they had stood. Undaunted by the fate of their leaders, the balance of the mob surged forward uttering cries of hate and rage. From all the doorways fresh hordes of earthmen came rushing to join the fray. Again and again the terrible rays of the Jovian guards blasted scores of their assailants into nothingness, but more came. Presently the tubes of the Jovians began to lose their power, and the violet light became lighter in shade. With a roar the earthmen swept forward, and the huge guards went down under the onrushing waves of humanity. Half a dozen of them were dragged down and hurled back into the milling crowd, where they were torn limb from limb. The balance of the guards, guided by Heavener's stentorian shouts, closed in around Glavor and the prisoner, and battered their way by sheer brute force toward the viceregal chariot. They had reached it and climbed in, when a feminine shout pierced the din of conflict. Damis! They have Damis prisoner! Rescue him! With a roar the mob charged again. Mightily the Jovians strove, but they were outnumbered by hundreds to one. One after another was torn from the chariot until Damis freed himself by a mighty effort and leaped to the ground. As he did so, the driver's hand found the controlling lever, and the chariot shot forward, crushing under its wheels several luckless earthmen who stood in its path. A roar of triumph rose from the crowd, and Damis was hastily lifted to their shoulders. He looked down on his rescuers with an anguished face. "'Laura!' he gasped. "'Is she safe?' One of the terrestrials shouted something unintelligible and pointed up. Damis's gaze followed the direction in which he pointed. From an upper window of the building into which she had fled 
Laura's face, wreathed with smiles, looked down on him. He smiled and waved in triumph to her. There was a stir on the outskirts of the crowd, and an elderly man, tall for an earthman, and with dignity and authority written large on his countenance, made his way through the crowd. At a word from him, Damis was lowered to his feet to face the newcomer. "'Damis,' said the elderly man, "'I never thought to grasp the hand of a Nephthalim, or of any one with Jovian blood in his veins and friendship. Yet I can do no less than offer my hand. It is the thanks of a father to the savior of his daughter.' Damis met the outstretched hand with a grip that made the elderly man wince. It is an honor and a pleasure to grasp in friendship the hand of Turgon, the Kildare of this province, he said, the hand of one who was born to be ruler, in fact, instead of an underling under a Jovian master. It is true that my father was king of this country before the Jovians came forty years ago, said Turgon gravely. Yet now there is no honor or merit in it. Even the rank of Kildare, which is but that of a slave ruling other more unfortunate slaves, could not have prevented my only daughter from being dragged away to the seraglio of that monster. To such a pass one has been brought whose birth made him the peer of any. But now we must plan and plan swiftly, else we are undone. Glavor will return with his minions. Safely will be found only in flight for mere numbers cannot oppose the weapons they will turn against us. Damis, so far you have been one with our Jovian masters, as have all the Nephthalim. Now it is war to the death between them and us. On which side do you stand? Damis hesitated as the Kildare's keen gray eyes bored into his own. My father was viceroy of the earth in the days gone by, he said slowly and he planned that I should take his place. His dream was a peaceful union of the strength and science of Jupiter with the beauty and humanity of the earth. True to his dream I have cleaved to his people, and striven to bring it about, but I can now see the folly of his ambition. In stature and mental power he was a Jovian, in all else he was a terrestrial. Since his death I have seen you stripped bit by bit of what he left you until now you are lower than the slaves on Jupiter, who can appeal to Tubane against a cruel master. Even I, a Nephthalim, the son of a viceroy, am forced to revolt to save the maiden I love. Henceforth I give up my father's dream of peace and do what my heart tells me is right. It is war to the death between the sons of God and the sons of man, and I, who am descended from a son of God and a daughter of man, cleave to my mother's people." A shout of joy came from all who heard his ringing voice announce his new allegiance. Damis had ever a reputation as a humane man and he was guilty of none of the brutalities which made the Jovians so detested and which were bettered by those of the Nephthalim who had the power. It was only the influence which Damis had wielded with the Earthmen, 
which had prevented many an outbreak which would have been ruthlessly crushed by the Jovian overlords. To know that a son of a viceroy, reputed one of the most brilliant as well as one of the strongest of Jovian blood, was one with them, made them hope that they might make some headway against their oppressors and wring from them some small measure of liberty. Turgan's face was wreathed with smiles. "'Again I offer you my hand, Damis,' he said. "'Before it was as a father thanking you for the rescue of his daughter. Now it is a father welcoming the son he has always longed for, and whom he feared he would never have. My consent to your union with Lura, which was grudgingly given only to save her from the dishonor of being dragged a slave to Glavorous Zeraglio, is withdrawn and in its place I give you a happy father's joyous consent to the marriage." There were tears in the old Kildare's eyes as he grasped the hand of the young blonde giant. For a moment they stood with clasped hands, two strong men taking the measure of one another, and each found the other good. The Kildare dropped Damis's hand and turned to the crowd. "'To your homes!' he cried sharply. The sons of God will return with new weapons, and it is my wish that none be found to oppose them. All within sound of my voice who are members of the inner council will join me in the palace. Damis, come with me." Followed by Damis and a score of earthmen, the Kildare led the way into a building. As they entered, Damis cast a swift glance around and looked questioningly at Turgon. Laura, he asked hesitantly. "'We'll join us in the council room,' said Turgon, with a smile. End of chapter 1